Well, good morning, South Point family. How's everybody doing? Are you good? You look good. Everybody looks good. Turn to your neighbor, give them a fist bump, and ask them how they're doing. Somebody sitting around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw in a little compliment, a little high five, something like that. You make a friend, man. You may get lunch spot for you. Who knows? Work that. Super glad that you're here. We're in the middle of this series called Summer at South Point. Having a lot of fun with this series because about every other week, we have one of our staff members speaking. And uh, so it's just not a whole summer of me. You get a little variety all throughout the summer. And super excited about that. Pastor Jenny was last week. We've got somebody else this coming week, and I believe it's this week, and the next couple of weeks too. So uh, going to have a lot of fun this summer. Our only prerequisite that we've told our pastors is I, I want to hear from your heart. Pray and ask God to lay something on your heart and give us your best. Just give us your A game this summer. Does that sound good to everybody? Like both barrels? Is that good? Can you handle both barrels? Do we even know what both barrels means? It's positive, I'm sure it is, yeah. Something to do with a gun in church, but it's positive, I'm sure about it. I'm glad that you're here. If you, if you have your orange bulletin, grab that, or your mobile device. We're on version. You can follow along. version. I love it, because when you're done taking notes, you can just email them to yourself, keep them, all that kind of stuff. Hold me accountable, make sure I quote my verses right, all that kind of good stuff. You know that happens every few months. Somebody tells me that was John chapter 1, not Mark chapter 1 or whatever. I'm like, Great, thank you very much. I'll make a note of that, because um, I, I slip up myself. Hey, let me say before we jump into this message, I am super excited about what's going to happen two weeks from yesterday, which is Serve Day. I know that uh, Jacqueline said a little bit about it. It was a video about it. I'm not going to keep talking about it long, but man, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. We would love to just be packed out on all of our projects. Most of our projects are super simple. They're just loving on people, helping people, assisting them somehow, and we want you to be a part of that because let me just tell you, the very next day, which is July 14th, right here in this room, we're going to be doing some celebrating from all that incredible stuff that we've done the day before, and I want you to be a part of that, all right? Does that sound great? Yep, all right. Woo! Go, Scott. Preach. Let's it. Y'all ready? All right, I'm ready. I don't know if y'all are ready for this, but I'm ready. Today I'm going to be taking my, my, uh, the, the bulk of the message out of the book of Matthew today. I want to kind of give you an overview of the book of Matthew. Like, I'm not going to teach on it chapter by chapter or anything like that. Matthew's one of the coolest books in the Bible. And it's one of the, Bi- the books in the Bible that I skipped when I got saved because it, I didn't understand how to read it. When, when I got saved in college... Um, I went to my cousin who led me to Christ, and, and I said, all right, I've never read a scripture in my entire life. And like, maybe I heard some, and I, you know, I went to church a couple of times growing up, but um, nothing regular. I didn't know any of the stories. I'd heard of David and Goliath, and I'd heard of Moses. I think I saw a cartoon or something with it, you know, growing up, but I didn't know where to start. And he said, well, don't read the Old Testament yet. Uh, go ahead and start in the New Testament. So I, that night, I started in the New Testament, and Got in the book of Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament, and he, I saw him a couple of days later, and we were visiting about different stuff, school and work, and he said, by the way, how's your Bible study going, R- reading the Bible? And I said, oh, I quit that. And he was like, what? And I'm like, have you read Matthew chapter 1? Like, it's probably the, the number one I'm quitting reading chapter in the whole Bible, because I did not get it. it. The whole book of Matthew chapter 1 starts off with like, Rick is the dad of Bob. Bob is the dad of Tim. Tim, and it does that for a whole chapter. All these people that I had no idea who they were. Why do I want to read about somebody else's family tree? You know what I'm saying? Is it, anybody ever thought that? Is it just terrible me? All right, like three of us. All right. 
so I went to him, and he, he, he started laughing. He said, yes, I totally get that. He's, he, then he got me kind of on like a new believer reading list, like start with the book of John. That's not confusing. You can understand that, you know, that kind of stuff. But later, months later, when I had read, written, uh, read through the New Testament, it kind of had some names when I'd read some of the books that he recommended throughout the Old Testament. I kind of had a little bit of understanding. I read back through Matthew. And what happened that very first time is I remember reading through Matthew and I go, oh, that, is, that the same, is that the same Abraham that's over in, in, in Genesis? That's the same dude? And he, my cousin was like, yes, that's him. And that's why it's important because what, what Matthew is trying to do, Matthew's audience that he's writing to in, the, in, in his letter is mainly to the Jews. Of course, it was to the Gentiles also, but what he wanted to do is bring out some of this super connection that was throughout the whole Bible. And so what Matthew would do, with, especially with the genealogy, right there, that chapter 1, he would list these giant men and women of God that were in the Old Testament that were also in the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus. And so when you read about some of these people and you go, what? That, like God had something, like the first one we're going to learn about today is Abraham. Well, how did Jesus come out of Abraham his line 3,000 years before. And what it shows you is, are you ready for this? I want to ask you if you believe this, that God had a plan from the very beginning. Do you believe that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. This isn't a church answer, all right? Get serious. Do you believe that from the beginning, God knew exactly the lineage of his son and who it was going to come from? Do you believe that? Because it's important if you believe that. Because if you believe that, then you ought to, it ought to just be a half a step to believe that God knows exactly who you are, where you are, and where you've been, and where you're going, and His plan for you in your life. Thank you, Scott, for connecting the dots. Yes, that's exactly what God's doing through the entire Bible, is connecting the dots. Have you ever done a big connect the dots? Have you done one since you're an adult? Now, if y'all don't play my game, I preach it for nine hours, all right? You gotta, you gotta help me out a little bit, you gotta work with me. Yeah, I'm not talking about like first grade ones with the big dot and there's like nine of them and most of the pictures are already drawn. Not one of those, okay? I'm talking about one of those you turn the page, it's like 437 dots and it just looks like somebody put ink in their mouth and sneezed. You know, that's it. You have no idea what is on this page. But here's what's great. As you begin to connect the dots, you get 10, 20, 30 dots in and you start seeing, oh, these are ears, right? You start, this is a tree, whatever the picture is. You start getting the dots connected, and that's what I want to do today. I'm not going to teach you verse by verse or even chapter by chapter through Matthew. I want to take kind of an umbrella look at Matthew and look at the point that Matthew's trying to make and hopefully, hopefully connect some dots and help you to understand, oh, this is why Matthew did what he did in the Bible. If my cousin, when he, when he said, read the New Testament, if he would have said this first, I would have been like, oh, I love the New Testament. I love this. It makes sense. This is on purpose. I see the dots connecting. That's why I want to do that today, because it's super important. Everybody say important. Much more than that, it's super important that you don't just hear God's Word, but that you read it and understand it. Man, even me now, sometimes I, I will read something and I don't get it. Sometimes I just skip over it, to be honest with you. I'll get that later. But a lot of time I'll go, okay, now, why don't, I under, why don't I understand this? Who was it written to? When was it written? Why was it written? I try to get a little context because I believe that God's Word is on purpose and that that plan that we read about 
from Genesis to Revelation that all things are tied together, I believe it's still going on now. And I don't want to miss out on that just because I'm too lazy to figure it out. We as believers need to know God's word. Could I get a big amen on that? We do need to know it, all right? And here, I'm going to give you one overarching word. You first fill in the blank in your notes. One overarching word, because if I could describe Matthew and why he did what he did in that book, that letter, the word would be fulfillment. What he's trying to do, he's trying to show you that God's been in control since the beginning. That God knew that Jesus was coming, that he knew that he was going to be the Messiah, and all of these other things that happened along the way were just prep work. God working his will through a nation of normal people like me and you that in trouble, they got beside their bed and they screamed, oh God, what have I done? Help me. And God would come in and help them. And then six months later, the very next chapter would be, and they turned from God and started buying a boat and spending every weekend at the lake instead of at church. Somebody say, preach it, Pastor. Ooh, it got quiet. I was just joking. I was Nothing personal. The people with the boats, they're not here, okay? They don't know we're talking about them. Is that cool? All right. So it's fulfillment. <clears throat> but there's three main people that I want to pull out of this. There's a bunch of people listed. There's like 65 really cool stories that you can understand in, in, in the book of Matthew that really connect to people in the Old Testament. There's a bunch of them. But I want you, I'm going to pick out three. And I want to show you what, what he's trying to do, what Matthew's trying to do, and help the Jewish people who are well-versed in the Old Testament. Help them to understand. And I think if we can do that today, it'll help us to understand it. And the first one is this, that, that as we read Matthew, we understand that Jesus is the new Abraham. All right? That's important for that, that he's the new Abraham. And, and, and here's where it starts, very first verse. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. The son of David, he's backing up, the son of David, and he backs all the way to the beginning, the son of Abraham. He wants you to know that Abraham, the father of our faith, is the father of Jesus. Dozens and dozens and dozens of dads ago was Abraham. And why Abraham's important, let me just say that. Did you know that some of the biggest religions in the world, they trace Abraham back to their root? The, the, the three that total up to more than half of the population of the earth would be Christianity, the Muslim faith, and the, Messi not Messi the Orthodox Jewish faith, Judaism. Those three combined, they all three trace their roots back to Abraham. He's Father Abraham in, in Christianity, but he's also that in Judaism, and he's also that to the Muslims. If you ever want to carry on a conversation with somebody in Judaism or somebody that's of Muslim faith and you want to find some common ground, start in the Old Testament. There's tons of common ground there. And th so what, what Matthew's trying to do, he's trying to let us know that you know Father Abraham, right? The father of our faith. And I'm fixing to read some of the incredible traits of him. Jesus is the new Abraham. He's the one that's come to fulfill these things. He's, he's fulfillment of what Abraham did. Let me, let me read you a little bit about Abraham. Hebrews 11 says this, by faith, everybody say by faith. Oh no, come on, say it like you're mad. By faith. By faith. Woo! By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Let's just pause there for a minute. You want to talk about some practical application to our life today? Even though, do you see that? By faith, when called to go to a place, he obeyed, even though, that's a giant combo of words in the Old Testament, even though. Has God ever called you to do something, even though you didn't know the outcome? 
Oh, just me, huh? Y'all leave me hanging up here on the stage? Yeah, of course. He's called us all to, to start this, to stop this. Maybe he's called us to change schools, change careers, move from one town to another, whatever it is. When God begins to put stuff on your heart, there's no proof at the end of it. He says this place that God was calling Abraham to, later he would receive his inheritance. But right now he had to go by, everybody say faith. He had to go by just what me and you get, by faith, by trusting that, you know what, God, you said it. I'm going to trust it. I remember the first time, like I never, yeah, I grew up I grew up a real skinny kid. I know y'all probably can't tell that now, but I grew up real skinny. And I remember um, when I broke my knee and my shoulder, I was 29 years old. I, my son had just been born, and I had to lay in bed for like two months. I was on this machine that was working. I had to have my knee reconstructed, all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was a bad three or four months. And I put on about 60 pounds just laying there watching TV just letting the machine do it and all the stuff that I had to go through and all that. And, I, and the reason I say that is because when, when I got to where I could, I could start walking again and do stuff, my first thing was I, want, I thought I want to find some type of fitness program and I want to kind of get back in shape. Now, this was 20 years ago. But I remember me and my wife talking about this because it was like you had to eat six meals a day and it was pretty much chicken, rice, broccoli and egg whites and water and all that. I mean, it was just like you had four things, have fun. You know, that, that was our, our whole diet. And I remember like four or five days into it and I felt terrible. You know what I mean? Like I'm used to eating like 47,000 calories a day and now I'm on like 1,800 and I'm going to the gym every day. And I was just like, this is terrible. And so I, I got out the book, and I thought, I must be doing something wrong. Have you ever done that before? And I keep reading, and it says, the first couple of weeks, you're going to feel terrible. And I'm like, bingo, I got that one down. Nailed my first goal. But believe it or not, me and Jenny, we entered this competition. She ended up placing in the top 500 in the world. There were like half a million people that competed. She ended up, we won a big, she won, but I ate some of it, a big duffel bag full of like nutritional supplements and all that kind of stuff. She was all ripped and everything. But I ended up losing 53 pounds in 10 weeks. Yeah. And you know what I said by that? Like when we started going through that, I said, here's what's incredible. Because at, at 29, I just became a Christian six years before. And I said, this, all this, doing this this last 10 weeks reminds me of when I became a Christian. For 23 years, I lived for myself. And then when I started living for Christ, I had to like kind of go, well, I mean, I, I still know how to pump gas and, you know, go to work and all that, but this whole other side of life is all by faith now. I have to trust something that was written thousands of years ago. Do you know how logically weird that is? It doesn't make sense. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And can I tell you, the first couple of weeks of me being a Christian, first couple of months, wasn't like I was going home at night by myself, no, no guy friends, no girlfriends. I'm by myself in college, and I'm just going, this is super fun. Not going to any parties anymore. Blast. And, and I had to accept it by faith that some things were going to change in my life. Not because, of, not because of religion, but because of where God was leading me to, to live a righteous life. And it was the same thing when, when I told me and my wife were talking, like after 10 weeks, I said, this has been just like me getting saved. You have to, when you start something new down a venture and you don't know what the end, I'd never been on a diet plan. I, I didn't know what the end was going to look like, but I had been given this prescription. If you do this, you know, eat healthy food, exercise, you know, stay out of the ice cream store, all that kind of stuff, that you're going you're gonna to reach your goal. 
And in that 10 weeks, I did. I reached my goal. And then I just flipped that over and I go, you know what? That's exactly what Abraham did. He didn't know. That is, he didn't know. I don't know what else to tell you. He didn't know. But by faith, he trusted God at his word and who God was. And isn't that so practical for us? I mean, isn't that just exactly where we are every day, every week, every month of our lives? It's by faith. Unless you've met Jesus personally, it's by faith. Let me keep reading. Verse 9. By faith. Everybody say, by faith. So good. By faith, his he made his home in, pro in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. That's so good. You ought to underline that because that, that just speaks to we don't always know where we're going. And sometimes we get there and the place is weird. It's not the promised land yet. There's a bunch of weird people living there we don't know. A bunch of strangers. That's where we grow. It's where we become the person that God has created us to be. There's a plan. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his family, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And here's so good, church. For he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. There's got to be a perspective change if we're going to live by faith. It can't be a position, an acknowledgement. What, what Abraham, what they're saying about Abraham in Hebrews 11 is that he was looking for the place that God was the architect of. Probably wasn't going to be a physical place. I mean, yeah, maybe represented physically, the promised land. But really what it was, was Abraham, and here's your next fill in the blank, is Abraham putting his faith into action. And that's why Jesus was the new Abraham. Jesus came and showed us this isn't just by word. God's been talking for 3,000 years about a Messiah. I have come to put that faith into action. He came to give his life. He came to give his, his flesh, his, his teaching, his blood, his breath. He came to give it all. And he showed us, like, I, I'm the new Abraham. I came from the seed of Abraham, and I am going to lead in the same way. I'm going to produce action through my faith. It's one of the biggest challenges. When I started reading Abraham, reading over in the book of Genesis, and it's like, Abraham trusted Abraham stepped out he didn't know the end of the program he didn't know it was just God said this is what will happen and how many of you have ever read the end of something and you got there and it wasn't that way yeah when I read that little 10-week diet plan I was like oh yeah I've heard of these before the magic you put on a towel you spin around nine times you lose 150 pounds you know that kind of thing it's not that Jesus said if you'll follow me as I live as I put my life in action. One of, one of the greatest things, when, when I talk about putting your faith into action, when Jesus talked about putting your faith into action, I always loved it because Jesus brought it down to my level. Like he didn't ever say, if you have a giant dump truck full of faith, you can go to heaven. Aren't you glad he didn't say that? Is that just me? I, what it, Jesus did say multiple times, though, he would find the smallest thing that he could find to compare, if you would have the faith, let's see, let's see, let's see. And don't you know, I mean, I'm just guessing he's probably doing it like this. and looks around, and he goes, like a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed on the table. Smallest seed out there. He goes, like this mustard seed, it's just a dot. If you ever want to know what a mustard seed looks like, take your ink pen and just make a dot on the page, and that's about the size of a mustard seed. He said, if you have a mustard seed, mustard seed faith, then you can, let me give you an analogy, you can tell that mountain to go jump into the sea. And it'll do it. And you know what? The first couple of years that I read that, I thought, one of these days, I'm going to have a big enough 
bowl of faith that I'm going to tell Pikes Peak to go jump in the Pacific Ocean. And that'll be when I've reached that upper echelon. And then I understood what he's talking about. Then I started understanding, like Abraham, what he's talking about, my faith. When, when you have faith, a little bit of faith that trusts in me and believes in me, then you're able to look at the mountains in your life and say, you're not holding me back from where I'm going. You're not going to keep me stopped right here. I'm going to navigate around you because I have faith in what Jesus can do. I'm either going to tunnel under you, I'm going to climb you, or I'm going to go around you because I have the faith the size of a mustard seed and no mountain can stop me. I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting, I'm just telling you. That, that's faith by action. What did, what did Abraham have? God's word. Well, come on, can't you like send out a dove and get some of that, those branches, you know, and bring them back like Noah did and all that and have a little promise or something out there? No, follow me. And God said, if you'll do that, if you'll do that, watch me shape your life. What, like if you'll follow Jesus and put your faith into action in this life, not just with a, yes, I'll follow him, but with a, my life shall follow him. My actions, my hobbies, my career, my living, my giving, my loving will follow him. God said, I'll lead you to the promised land. It's good stuff. The second person he wants you to understand is that Jesus is the new Moses. Woo, one of my favorites. He talks a lot about Moses throughout the book of Matthew. He talks about how Moses came out and brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Well, guess what? A few days after Jesus was born, do you know that Jesus had to escape Bethlehem and go to Egypt? Yeah, check that out. Did you know that when Moses led them out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness for 40 years? Well, Jesus, when he began to start his ministry at 30 years old, it says, led by the Holy Spirit in Matthew, he, he goes to the wilderness where he fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for that. See, all through Matthew, Matthew keeps comparing Jesus to these incredible men and women of God, including Moses. And what, what we call that is a type of Christ. They'll say Moses was a type of Christ. Not meant to represent him, but meant to give us clues. Meant to show us, hey, the dude that's coming after him, that's connected to him or her, is going to possess these qualities. He's going to have Abraham's qualities. He's going to have Moses' qualities. But let me just tell you, the, my favorite one in the book, you've got to get farther along in the book of Matthew. It's over in Matthew 26. And you get to see why Matthew put something in Scripture. Do you ever read and think, I wonder why they put this in there? Every, everyone in this room say yes. Okay, this is one of those. When, when, when you get to reading those, but it's about the Passover. Are you familiar with the Passover? Because the Passover is one of the craziest things in the entire Bible. It's one of those things when we get to heaven, I want to say, okay, why? In fact, let, can I give you some uh, theological seminary wisdom from God? I don't think when we get to heaven, we're all going to be in line asking questions, okay? We want to like pick a number, and it's like now serving 7 billion, 12, and like it's not going to do that. I think Scripture says when we enter heaven, we will know as we are known. It's one of my favorite verses. We'll know as we are known. That, I, I don't know if we download it, how that happens. You when you're in heaven, you get it. But I think we're going to understand. God's going to connect all the dots for us. He's going to connect all the dots. But the Passover, oh, it's a big dot because he talks about Moses and how Jesus is like Moses. The Passover is when they were, they were still slaves. The Hebrews were still slaves in Egypt. And God sent Moses to let my people go. And they said no multiple times, one after another after another. And the last plague, that, this is the last plague. And God said it's going to reflect something that Pharaoh has already said. Pharaoh tried to kill. He commanded that all the firstborn of the Israelite children be killed, all the firstborn males. God said, well, that is going to be the last plague. 
I'm going to send death into Egypt. And it's going to pass through the town. And anyone who doesn't have some lamb's blood over the door, they will be killed. But anybody that takes a lamb, if you know the inside information, y'all get this? Not all the Egyptians knew this. The Egyptians didn't know this, just the Israelites, just the Hebrews knew this. They said, God was, God said you're supposed to take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb. You see a little connection there? Just wondering if y'all seeing that yet. And take the blood of the lamb and smear it on your doorpost. And when death comes by, if it sees the blood, it will, everybody say it with me, pass over. That's where we get the Passover. So here we are, Matthew 26, 3,000 years later, and Jesus sitting with his disciples like he has done hundreds of times. They're busting out some Big Macs, a McRib, a Whopper, something like that. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't you wish they had that back then? They're really eating the exact same thing they've eaten many times. They've got some, some bread of some kind, some little flat bread, and some wine, and some water, and probably some rice or something like that. Very simple. But they've had this meal hundreds of times before, right? They, they've been running around together for three years, eating every meal together. But Jesus does something different this time. He kind of freaks them out. This is what he says in Matthew 26. While they were eating... Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. Here's the different part. This is my body. He's changing the game on him. He's flipping the script a little bit. He's wanting them to know. like This, this symbolizes something different now. Yes, it's still bread, but it symbolizes something that's fixing to start tonight. He goes on, then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my, the blood, or my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What, what he was saying is, you remember the Passover? It's connected us Jews since the beginning. The, the great escape into the promised land, all this kind of stuff. Jesus is here to do that for everybody. Jesus is here to be the Passover for everybody. Jesus is here to be the sacrificial lamb so that death passes over us. And Jesus is saying this night, hey, take this bread and take this cup and drink of it. And whenever you drink of it, remember what I did. Remember that, yes, I'm like Moses, but Moses set you free physically. I've come to set you free spiritually. Man, can I just tell you, there's some things in life that physically are never going to change. You know what I mean? If I, if I lose my leg in, a, in the war or something like that, I'm, it's not going to grow back. That's going to be there. But God can set me free physically and spiritually. Come on, somebody help me out a little bit. He set me free spiritually. Listen, I've been in some binds physically, and I promise you, when it comes down to it, I want the spiritual freedom more than anything. You, you can capture me. But if God will make sure that I'm spiritually free, I can overcome anything. Jesus is our path to freedom. I want you to get that before we move on. Jesus is our path to freedom. Emotional freedom, spiritual freedom, physical freedom in this world. Jesus is our freedom. He came to lead us out of captivity, to be our sacrifice, and to give us freedom from the worries of death. It's pretty incredible. Last one is this. Jesus is the new David. You get the new Abraham, you get the new Moses, and you get the new David. David, David, how's he like a new David? He talks about David being this little shepherd boy. He's like 12, 13, 14 years old. He's out there watching over the goats, watching over the sheep. 
Can I tell you, that's exactly who he is for us. Jesus is out of the lineage of David, not just because David's a king. Don't let me me lose you on this. Because he's a shepherd. He started as a shepherd. Can I just tell you that all this freedom talk, all this being set free stuff, it all starts with him being your shepherd. There's the understanding that we need to grasp. When Matthew is comparing Jesus and Moses, we need to understand, or Jesus and David, we need to understand that it starts with him shepherding us. With us taking the staff out of our hand in the direction I'm going to go in life and handing it to Christ and saying, why don't you lead me and guide me? When I fall in the hole, why don't you reach down with your staff and help me up and give me direction? Why don't you light my path instead of me choosing? Why don't you help me to see what's best for me? Why don't you be my shepherd? That's what it's all about. And can I tell you, my favorite part of this is when he brings up David and Goliath. Anybody in here ever seen the movie 300? Let's do this. I love that movie. I love that movie. I just do push-ups the whole time during that movie. <laughs> Kick over a decoration or something, you know. Yell out, this is Sparta. Maybe the first time I watched it. You know the guy where when they're I think it's about halfway through the movie and they bring in, you know, the guy that's chained up and he's all scarred up and he's the giant. And ever since I saw that movie, that's what I picture Goliath. They say he's about nine foot tall. When you read about him in the Old Testament, you don't get that much in the New Testament. But he's this giant, deformed, just super angry. He comes out every morning in the, in the David and Goliath story. And it's, you've got the, the Hebrew army on one side, the Philistine army on the other. And they're ready to do battle, except David, or the Goliath keeps coming out, and he keeps cussing out everybody. He's cussing out God. He's cussing about Israel. And he's saying, if y'all lose to me, we're taking over everything. And, and Israel's scared to death. Let me, let me ask you real quick. Since, since we're in the New Testament, we're really talking about a type of Christ. You ever, you ever had a giant standing in front of you just screaming, foul mouth, yelling, threatening you, and just made you wet your britches just scare you to death scare you, scare you to freeze you know it's one of the most dangerous things when you're if you're in military one of, if you start getting attacked one of the things that you, the very first thing you're supposed to do is cover and move cover and move cover and move. you can't stay there or they're going to surround you and kill you when growing up fighting <laughs> that was one of the first things my dad said i don't do that anymore i'm saved okay but one of the first things my dad said if somebody mouths off to you if they go what are you looking at he said just hit them that's the next thing anyways that was a great trick did you know but the reason i'm saying this that's what happened on this battlefield that same thing goliath comes out and he's barking and yelling and threatening i'm gonna the birds are gonna feed on your carcass and i'm gonna kill your families and just terrifying these guys terrifying the army And all of a sudden, here comes little shepherd boy. He's got some bread and cheese for the army guys. And the first thing he says is, hey, who's the big ugly guy? And why haven't y'all taken care of that? Do you hear what he's saying? Because he's not scared. He hasn't hasn't got that fear built up. Because sometimes you sit and stare at those giants. You stare at those things in front of you, and they get scary, man. You Do not go on the internet and read about your giant, okay? There's all kinds of terrible stuff on there about your giant and how it's going to attack you and it's going to ruin your life. Your first response should be, hey, Lord, I'm fixing to go fight this just like David's. So I'm going to ask that you would help me just like Jesus. And I'm going to walk out here with all all of you quit me with. And I can't kill this dude on my own, this giant. But with you in my life, I can defeat this giant. David goes and gets five smooth stones out of the river is what it says. Five smooth stones. 
And he takes him, and he walks out there, and he's got, all he's got is his sling. He's a little Hebrew kid, 14, 15 years old, totally outmatched. Everybody say outmatched. Some days you're going to look in the mirror. You're going to look across the yard. You're going to get that phone call, and they're going to say, hey, this giant's big. You're totally outmatched. And you know what you need to do? You just need to find you a creek. You see, go get you a rock. You know what this symbolizes? This symbolizes Christ in my life. David put that one little rock and walked out there with that sling. Craziest story. I love this story. And slung it around a couple of times and threw it. And it said that God guided it right there. The one spot where it knocked him down. And David rushes him while he's knocked down, grabs his sword, cuts his head off, and he turns the table. He holds that head up. Terrifying. This little kid just killed our giant. The whole story just got flipped in one moment. One moment of it's God, not me. One moment of it, I'm going to let a giant terrify me and my family and my nation. One moment of trusting God. What can one moment in your life do? If I say, God, I believe in you, I trust in you. I'm going to take steps to prove. I'm going to be like Abraham, and I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to walk my faith out. I'm going to put you in my decision. I'm going to put you in my job. I'm going to be just like Moses also. I'm going to be like Moses also. I'm going to remember that Passover. Remember that you are the one that separates me from death. That you are the one that rescues me in this world. And I'm going to be just like David. I don't care if I'm outmatched and outnumbered. I'm going to take what you've given me, and I'm going to fight my best fight, and I'm going to let you do the rest. Think about that. David, Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus the son of David. Can I tell you that David didn't stay a shepherd? He was always known for the giant killer. But can I tell you how David ended? David ended as a king. It's such a great analogy because Jesus wants to be the king of our lives. We, we end this book of Matthew just like we started. Start with a shepherd, but end with a king. It all starts with us being the king. Let me can I can I read you the bookends of the of the book of Matthew and just see maybe if you these last two dots I want to connect. See if you can't see maybe that God did this on purpose. The book of Matthew for sure. Maybe he brought you here today on purpose. Maybe what you're going through today is for God to speak his word. Whatever whatever I'm rattling off here but to God to speak through his spirit to your soul connect some dots. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Very first book, or very first chapter in Matthew. The virgin will conceive. Matthew's given the story of Jesus' birth. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him, what's that? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let me read you. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's hung out about a month. He's preached his last message. He said, I'm leaving. I'm going to ascend into the clouds. The next time you see me, I'm going to come back and change the whole world. And listen to what Jesus says. Last verse in the book of Matthew, Matthew 20, 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can everybody say Emmanuel is with us? That's what he said. 
when he was born, he said, they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when he left, he said, listen, I'm going to send my spirit so that I can be with you all the time. The same spirit in Abraham, same spirit in Moses, same spirit in David is in you as soon as you put your trust in him. Greatest story on the planet. Incredible. Incredible. Listen, I don't know if you're dealing with a giant today that needs to be slain. I don't know if you need some type of freedom today. I don't know if you just need a little fanning of your flame of your heart. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray to end this, and we're going to do something really special. Well, let me just say, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know Jesus, I was right there with you. 23 years. It seems like a whole lifetime ago. In one aspect, in another aspect, it seems like last week. Because I remember that B.C. Scott very well. And I see where God's changed me and brought me from there. If you don't know Christ, while I pray, will you do something that maybe you've never done before? Will you just tell him, say, Jesus, come and teach me about yourself. Come into my life and teach me about you. And I'm telling you, if you have a, if you have a faith the size of a mustard seed, a little bit, if you just crack the door open for him, God is faithful to change your life. Lord, we're so thankful for your word today. It is powerful and it's revolutionary to our lives. It changes us from the inside out and changes us outside in. It changes how we think, how we see ourselves, how we see the world. It changes from a, our perspective from a glass half empty every day to a glass half full. It brings out the promise of our shepherd, our giant killer, and our king. Lord, you know the heart of every person here and love us right where we are, just like the song said. And I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that this word would be alive more today than it's ever been before. If first and foremost, if they need you, if they don't know you but want to, I pray that today as they open up their life, that your spirit would come in, that you would give them a fresh start, show them how much you love them and care for them, and from this day forward, Lord, teach them to be yours. Show them what faith is. And Lord, I pray for those in this room that, that have giants in their life, that you would show them how to overcome those giants, that you would show them mentally and physically, spiritually, emotionally. Today, Lord, we pray that you would give us freedom. There may be some in this room that have been bound by something in their life that they can't shake. Well, you're, you're the one that is the shaker. You're the one that can shake us loose. Just like you brought them out of Egypt. Just like Jesus says, he brings us out today. He's our path to freedom. Lord, I pray that you'd set them free. That you'd help them to cling to you, your word and your spirit and your life. Lead them to freedom. We love you. We thank you for your word. It is food to our soul, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to do one more thing before we leave today, something a little different. We're going to take communion together. Communion is what we just read about in Matthew 26, where Jesus was sitting with his friends. He had the, the bread. He had the wine. We're not going to do wine today. We're going to do juice. Just elements, just symbolizing. Just to remember during this last song, just to remember what he's done for us. 
So in front of you in that chair, uh, on the on the little frame, there's a, or in the front row, there's some under the seats, I believe. And if not, we'll get you some. But in front, there's a little wafer on top. You can peel that off, and then below it's the juice. This is kind of the to-go style since we're doing it at the end of service. And even if you can't have it or there's something wrong, take a couple of them with you. They should be scattered throughout your row. Take them with you. That's what they're for. But during this last song, can we, whenever you feel like, we don't have to do it all together, but just together during the last song, can we take that little wafer and just remind us what happened and that juice and remind us who it happened with and remember that he's the one that sets us free, that he's the one that gives us life. One more time, let's together, let's pray and thank him for the life that he gave. Lord, we love you today. We're humbled as we're reminded of the life that you gave, that body, the blood. I can't imagine, Lord, I don't know if I could have let it happen if I'd have been there. I think we would want to take up for you, probably just like Peter did. But thank you, Lord. Thank you for going through with it. Thank you for having a plan from the beginning. Thank you for giving it all for us. So it's so much easier for me to give all back to you. I pray that today as we sing, as we take these small little elements, that it would bless your heart as we remember you, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen.